Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we give you our evening together. We believe that you're good, that you're eager to give us your perspective. That's what we want. Use us this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Who wasn't here last night? Okay, so you don't have to answer this next part. Actually, I didn't want to show you that. I talked about five different ideas last night. Those of you who were, who were here last night, who can tell me one or several of those? We're blessed so that we can be a blessing. Way to go. Amen. God wants all people to know him. Yes. The harvest can be lost if we delay. Way to go. Three out of five. Okay. The, the people who don't know may be close to you. Mm -hmm. That's four. I saw Luncha was cheating. He was looking down. That's okay. <clears throat> no, he's not cheating. I don't want Luncha to feel bad. Um, what? You can't eat soup with a fork. What were we trying to say with, the, with that? That's not quite one of the, the five points, but uh, I'm glad you were there. You were listening. What were we trying to say with, the, with the, eating soup with a fork? If you're not hearing the gospel in your mother tongue, you're going to miss a lot. Tell me about this imbalanced sending. What's imbalanced sending? Don't be bashful. Just help me out. Okay. There's a lot, of mission, a lot of people who don't have missionaries or there's very few. We said there's at least 218 identified groups that there's nobody even trying to, to develop a church in their neighborhood, in their, in their people group. We said that if, <clears throat> if Pennsylvania had as many missionaries per million as China does, we'd have how many people here? How many missionaries in Pennsylvania? Thirteen. And if as many as North Korea, it would be... No. Thirty-nine if it is as many as, as China, and thirteen is as many as, uh, as North Korea. So it's... I was trying to understand, what, am, but what are we trying to say? It, it, it's just this feeling of fairness. It, it's not fair that, that some parts of the world have, have just so many opportunities, and other parts of the world... Uh, there's just almost nobody to help them. <clears throat> Good. So, Friday morning when my daughter, I live about an hour from, from Wichita, which is where the airport is that I flew from. And so my daughter lives in Wichita, and she said, Dad, I'll take you to the airport. So I parked, parked my car there to avoid the expensive uh, parking there. And uh, as, she was, as we were driving to the airport, 15 minutes, she said, Dad, I think you ought to talk to people about 
don't just make them feel guilty. Give them ideas about what to do. And uh, I said, well, that's a good idea. That's a really good idea. Because the last thing I want to do, I'm a, I'm a, a firm believer that making you feel guilty and making you do things out of guilt is just a, is, is not a good way to do it. <clears throat> uh, so, I have two statements here, and you tell me what, uh, what beliefs hold us back from being involved in evangelism. Do those two feel the same to you? The first one says, don't bother me with the facts. I'm fine where I'm at. I'm really not interested in changing. Thank you very much. And the second one is, that phrase describes me pretty accurately. I see my need to change, to grow, and to learn. Would you please help me? Tonight, I'm not here trying to convince anybody that's the top group. I'm trying to give ideas to people who are wanting to change, who are open to change, who see the need for change. <clears throat> so what holds us back? Teaching, teaching this, uh, or preparing for this has been really good for me. I came to the States, like I said last night, in 2016. It was a huge disruption to, to our lives. We didn't expect this to happen. It was just, it was, it was totally unexpected. Um, it was devastating. I, I doubted God. I said, God, what's going on? You answer prayer. You care about the people in El Salvador. What's going on? And... Um, but it was clear. The door was closing for us to be in El Salvador. And uh, missions has been my life. That's what I... That's really been important to me. But since, since then, as I've become involved in ministry in, in Kansas, I, as I was preparing, I suddenly became aware that I haven't, I haven't thought as much about ministry out there I remember so well. It was June the 30th, 2017, when I heard the Lord say in an almost audible voice, he said, Arthur, I want you to learn how to help people who are struggling with addictions. And uh, I said, okay. I, I drive truck for my brothers, and so uh, I could spend a lot of time listening to audio. I spent a lot of money taking training. Um, I learned from... Christian ministries that are, are, that are helping men get free from pornography. And uh, little by little, I have felt the blessing of the Lord, the direction of the Lord to, to focus on ministry, one-to-one, -one, mentoring, one hour a week over the internet, uh, video conferencing uh, for a fee. Um, Last week, the eighth person signed up. Um, I tell people I would love to do it without, without uh, charge, but if I did that, I'd have to work full-time for my brothers, and I wouldn't have time to help anybody anyway. So I feel like this is how the Lord is guiding me, and um, I'm excited about the open doors. Um, but it was so, so gratifying to me this week one of those eight men told me, 
I have wanted to go to the mission field, but I knew with my struggle with pornography, I had no sense in going. But now that I'm making progress, I'm daring to think about it again. And that was so exciting to me because my heart is still with missions and with wanting to help people. So maybe God is calling me back to Kansas and, uh, and to ministry with people who are struggling with pornography. I get to see people who, I get to see them change. And I know that, I know that Dave King and his wife are working with people too. And, and they have the excitement of seeing that people can change. I want to say that pornography, like other addictions, I mean, if I say food addictions, if I say shopping addictions, if I say so, so, if I can say it, social media addictions, uh, it gets a lot closer to home. But the, the, the dynamics are the same. Looking to something that can't satisfy to, to fix an inner, inner longing. So, it was just fascinating to me that I had kind of become more involved with my world than speaking to you to this this weekend has just opened my eyes again and said, this is, this is what I really want to give my life to. Do you know of any church that says, we have too many gifted people, too many committed people, we don't know what to do with them? I don't think so. I, I think there's a lot of men caught in pornography who are operating at 25% spiritually, maybe less. When they get free, we'll have lots of people to put to work and to send to the mission field. That's what I want to see. <clears throat> I was going to bring some business cards along, but I forgot. And so uh, I'll do those tomorrow. I would, just, I would just welcome, I would ask that you um, grab a bunch of business cards and and say, if you know people right now that are struggling, give it to them. If you don't, take a couple home and, and look for the people. My website is Hope Journey Guide. Uh, if you go there, you'll see what I do, and it'll answer some questions for you. Um, I'm excited because of what I see, and this is where God has called me to. So, what, what holds us back from evangelism? Our Christianity that's not working. If we're, stu if we're stuck, uh, we're not able to reach out. So, let's talk about beliefs that hold us back from being involved in evangelism. Before I sh tell you about the things that I've, I want to talk about, I'd like for to ask you that question. What beliefs hold us back from being involved in evangelism? Fear? Fear of? Who said fear? You. Fear of what? I talk to people and they, they don't like me because I, talk, but I tried to talk to them. Okay, good. Are there other kinds of fear? What are some more? Would it be fear that... Uh, I'll be rejected, fear that uh, they'll ask me questions that I won't know what to say. Um, that's good. That's one of the things that I have down. What beliefs hold us back from becoming involved in missions? 
Can you think of anything else? Who said that? Nate, okay. Believing that I don't have what it takes. This, this evangelism, this talking to people about God, that's for other people. I, I'm not good enough. I, don't, I can't do that. I don't have what it takes. Therefore, I'm free. Is that the way to think? No. If I, don't, if I don't yet know what I need to know to be able to help other people, what should I do? Try to, do I try to avoid finding out what to do? No. I should learn. Okay, then let's go. Evangelism isn't where I'm gifted. That's not me. I can't do that. Well, the unspoken statement is, so if I'm not good at that, God ought to let me get off the hook, shouldn't he? What about latent gifts? What about you discovering that... There's things that you can do that you didn't know you could, but because you never you're saying mish talking about another person, how outreach. What is the unspoken thing behind that? Well, if I'm too busy, then I'm off the hook, right? Why do you just stand there and listen to me? I want to hear from you. Is that true? Outreach is a good enough idea, but, but right now I'm too busy. Therefore, I'm free. Dave, what, what should I be thinking? Therefore, I need to change my priorities and stop doing some things that I'm doing because this is more important than that. Isn't that what we're saying? Yeah. Okay, let's try another one. I'm not sure that sharing my faith is that important. They're probably satisfied with what they have, and I don't want to be overbearing. Can I have a lady that will tell me, what do you think of that? You look at people in the grocery store and you say, I'm satisfied with what I've got at Weaver Town. I have an alive relationship with God, but they look so, so much like they're, they're satisfied with life. I, I, why would I want to, to bother them? Why would I want to unsettle them? Why would I want to uh, make them? They're probably satisfied. Is that good logic? It wasn't? Okay, that logic wasn't good enough for Aquila and Priscilla. Okay, good. Did you know that people can look pretty good? I, w I lived in El Salvador, and there's people there that have lots of money, and there's people that don't have money. I caught myself thinking that the people who have money are probably pretty satisfied with their lives, and they don't need what I have. Is that true? That's not true. 
If you get to learn to know these people, even the people with lots of money, uh, their lives are pretty, pretty rough um, behind that facade. We don't know the real lives they have. I'll just live out my testimony. I'll wait till they ask me about my church. How do you like that one? Is that one pretty good? What? Laziness? Okay. Is what? Is our church our salvation? I hope not. I, th- I, I use that example because me- for many of us, inviting somebody to church is kind of a, a first step. And it's not, we're not saying if you enter those doors, they're going to be saved. But this is a place where they can learn, learn to know about God and it's kind of a, a beginning step. I learned this a long time ago. That it works best for me to pray for things that I can believe that God could answer. Do you have a coworker that you just say, I, I, I'm sorry, God, but I just can't believe that you could help them to become a Christian? I'm sorry. But I can believe that maybe if I would talk to them about God, maybe. They'd be willing to come, to come with me to church. I can believe for that. So I pray for that. Um, so let me ask you this question. Will your friend, will your neighbor, will your coworker say, Arthur was such a good man. He was a good neighbor. Will they say that on judgment day? Or will they say, He never talked to me about God. I missed it. He could have told me, but but he didn't. Ezekiel 33 talks about that idea that if we talk, if we tell other people about what we have, then we we have fulfilled a responsibility and they get to choose. If they don't choose right, if we've done the best that we could and they don't choose right, It's appropriate to be sad, but at least its blood isn't on our hands. What it means is it's not your fault. You tried. I'll just pray and depend on God to teach me how to evangelize. What do you think of that one? Is that good? It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Do you like that one? Let me ask you this question. Should you focus on dependence on God or develop your gifts and abilities? Should you pray or should you try to develop those gifts? Somebody's talking. Who said maybe both? Okay. Why did you say that, Chris? We should pray, we should practice. That's where I wanted to go, Chris. Thank you very much. Okay. Okay. 
Hmm. So why do we think that we're going to be good at evangelism without practice? How many of you learned how to drive automatically? I have a hand, two hands there. Wow, that's good. Most of us, I didn't mean with an automatic transmission. I meant, was it, was it automatic to you? Didn't you think, okay now, I'm gonna put, this is before the days of, of, of automatics. You, you push in the clutch, and then you let it out. Oh, it kills the engine. And then you say, well, okay, I've got to do everything just right. In the same way with learning to, to walk, who among us automatically learn to walk? Isn't it true that we do, some, do stuff and we mess up and we don't do it right? But we fall down, we get up again, and we try again. Isn't that the way we do it? I'm going to tell you two stories. Um, I'm not going to tell you why, but singing is not what I'm good at. I really think, I can't remember, but I really think somebody made fun of me when I was young. I was petrified at the thought of ever leading, leading singing. I wasn't, it wasn't until I was 25 years old in Texas Tepeque, El Salvador, that nobody else showed up to lead the singing. And I was sweating. It was awful. I said, I'd much rather preach three times than to lead singing. It was, I, I was scared stiff. So the question is, can God work through Arthur and his trying to lead singing? Maybe, but not very much. The other example I want to give you is that of typing. When I was 15 years old, I just somehow knew that, that typing was going to be important for me. I didn't know anything about computers. That was before the days of computers. But I just, I just wanted to learn to type. And now, uh, because of my job in El Salvador and, and since then, um, typing is just, it, I have done it so much that sometimes I write somebody an email and I am thinking about what I want to say and just feels like the words flow and I, I, I can tell that God is in this and that he's speaking, that he's communicating truth to someone else. It's flowing through my, through my fingers What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that if you are stuttering and stammering, trying to speak to somebody about God, God may bless. But Chris is right. The more we practice, the more the power of God can flow through us and it becomes more natural to us. So, if, if you're here waiting tonight until you are pretty good at it to start, you've got it all wrong. I want to give you permission tonight to, to fail. That's the way we learn. 
We try. We do the best we can. It comes out awful, and you are embarrassed. And, and... But I want to give you permission to, to fail because <laughs> that's the way we do it when we're starting, isn't it? I think I have a... Well, I want to tell you this story yet. About five or eight years ago, I thought to myself, I'm, 50 some, I'm 63 now. I'm 50-some years old. Do you think I can, I can learn, I can yet learn to use a PowerPoint presentation with preaching? And I said to myself, I'm not sure but I'm going to try. Now it has become something that just kind of, it feels like a part of me, and God uses it to bless other people, but that's not the way it started. <clears throat> I'm afraid they'll reject me. I may lose my, the friendship. Uh huh. Well, is that more important than helping somebody? If there was a manhole right here in the middle and a blind man was walking that way, would you say, hmm, <laughs> I guess he's going down the hole? Is that what you would do? Of course not. We just say, somebody has to stop him. Somebody has to talk to him. That's what we ought to be doing if we understand what's really going on. I'm afraid that I'll make a mistake. Well, we will make mistakes. But I want to tell you something. I had a friend. I, I lived in El Salvador more than 20 years before I did street preaching. I always wanted to, but I was too scared to. And it wasn't until a man, a North American man, came down and did sweet preaching. He said, Arthur, I want you to go with me. And I said, well, for a while I didn't go. But finally I felt so embarrassed, I said, I'll go with you. I'll be there to be, support you. And you know what happened? He said, Arthur, you're on. You're, you're going to be first. And I was scared stiff. I didn't know what to do. But my experience was that in, that in that setting of being totally dependent on God and doing it again and again, that I heard things come out of my mouth. I did things intuitively that I would have never thought of doing, but it, became, it was a part of me, and it was powerful. Um, I can't bring myself to do that in Hutchinson. But it's an exhilarating feeling to stand on a park bench and you have this little PA system and you shout as loud as you can. Uh, but it became a part of me. But I was scared. I was terribly scared the first time. And anybody is scared the first time. You have permission to be scared the first times that you try. And it's, you're going to, it's not going to go well. You have permission to fail. It's just that that's the way you learn. C.K. Chesterton said, oh, I didn't like that. If a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing badly. 
What do you think? If you're going to be a people helper or if you're going to be a mechanic or anything, when you get started, you're going to do it bad. But that's the way we learn. And I want to free everyone that's listening to me today to say, I'm going to mess up. But that's the way to learn. Arthur's giving me permission to, for it to not go very well. But I also want you to feel that exhilaration of discovering what's a part of you. And you'll discover that some things work and some things don't. We learn by practice. So, a few practical things that we can learn that, that I can do to improve my usefulness for the kingdom. Do you know someone who's really good at evangelism that, you'd, that you could uh, say, I'd like to go with you. Show me how you do it. Uh, I want to learn from you. You've been doing this for 20 years. I'd like to... I just want to go with you and watch you. I should be on the lookout. You should be on the lookout for good tools to put in your belt. In your witnessing belt. What are things that you can do to... to, um, Yeah, what can you do? Well... You can gather and practice using transition questions. Questions when you start visiting with somebody. Hi, my name's Arthur. Uh, I live over here in Birdinghand. Where do you live? Okay, good. Hmm. What do you do? You talk like this, but then at some point you want to shift gears, don't you? Shift gears. Listen to these. Can I ask you a question? Would you consider yourself a religious person? That kind of gets you, gets you in that mode. Another question. If you were to die tonight and stand at heaven's door, and Peter would ask you, what right do you have to come in? What would you tell him? That's two. Uh, are you interested in knowing the, what the Bible says about that? When you die, what do you think is going to be on the other side? On a scale of one to ten, about, uh, about how good would you say that you are? Well, I think I'm maybe a seven or eight at least. Um, could I go over the Ten Commandments with you just to kind of check? Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen? How many times do you have to steal to be a, be a thief? Have you ever committed adultery? Before you answer, uh, you need to know that the Bible says if you think... God looks at it like adultery. Those kinds of things. Do you think much about spiritual things? What has been your most meaningful spiritual experience? Can I share mine? If what you're believing is not true, would you want to know? If they say no, then, I, then you just have to be quiet, I guess. Do you think there's a heaven or a hell? Why or why not? I'm curious. Why do you wear that cross? Or what's that... What's that tattoo all about? No. Jesus Christ. I often like to pray for, pray for you. Pray for them. They're not too likely to get angry. 
write out your testimony, past, how you became a Christian, and the difference that it made. Before you were a Christian, what happened, and then the difference that it made. And here's, some, here's something I learned. You look at the person, and if it's a good religious person, I'm going to say, you know, I was... Um, I tried to do what was right, but I still came to recognize that I was on my way to hell, uh, even though I did lots of good things. That's the way you'll start with that. If, you, if you're talking to someone who's got a real rough, messed up life, you can say, I, my life has been a mess. Before I learned to know the Lord, uh, you can identify that with them without lying and just tell your story. That's what you ought to do. You ought to be ready with that. You can memorize verses that you want to use when you have a chance. You can plan how you'll share the gospel when you have a chance. You ought to just kind of think about it. Well, I want to talk about God being a loving God. These are different elements you can kind of put together. God is a loving God. We've all sinned. Uh, Jesus uh, you kind of think about how you want to do that. You have these different pieces of the puzzle that I'll start wherever I can and I'll talk about stuff. Choose a favorite tract. Have you ever seen this booklet? Could we look through it briefly and I'll leave it with you as a gift? I want to recommend, unless you have another one, Christian Life Publications prints one, have you heard the good news? Alan Roth designed it. It's a really neat way of just kind of walking people through. And uh, so these are tools that, you, that I'm suggesting you have. And if you have, that's what I want you to do. So, ask, learn from somebody else. Wherever you are, be listening. You should have a list. I gave you a list of some of the ideas that I gathered from other people about ways to do transition from where you're at, from talking about physical things to shifting to spiritual things. You ought to do that. Hmm. I want to do something tonight. I want to talk, I'm not quite sure if I can talk about global missions, Weavertown missions, and Anabaptist missions, all three. I've asked Aaron Lapp to talk to us about history of missions in, in, uh, in Weavertown. All three of these, worldwide Anabaptists, and Weavertown, there's these common elements that we start with one person and the truth or the, the things they stand for and the we say we're standing on the shoulders of other people who, who, uh, who helped us. So I'm not sure that I'm making sense, but I'm asking, I, I do want to do this, so we'll... We'll come back to this. These are the questions I want you to be asking yourselves. Where would Weavertown Church be today if these men and women that he's going to be telling us about would have taken the easy way out of, but we've never done things like that before? 
What are the mission-related ideas that you take for granted that were breathtakingly new and radical less than 100 years ago? Are there mistakes or unwise decisions that previous generations made about missions that are easy to see now, but that no one could see back then? So I want you to be thinking about those. Uh, I've given, given Aaron 20 minutes, and uh, then I'll come back and uh, figure out where to go with, with, uh, with the remaining time. So, Aaron, you're on. <clears throat> about shocked me off my feet. I thought he had completely forgotten about it, and I was expecting just the format of last night. So then Sean came up and took the time, and I thought, okay, there goes, I don't know, whenever I'm, if I'm even going to speak here about these things, I get prepared. <clears throat> I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It'll be a congregational verse that I want all of us to be saying it together. I want you to stand. And we will say together 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. There we are. All together. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Stay standing. My uh, presentation has two planks, kind of like a platform, one tank, a plank, a real wide plank, and then there's another one that's also very wide, and they are in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 14, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Got it? What's the power word? What's the power word? Okay. Love, okay. On God's part, and on our part, constraineth. Yes. Verse 11, 2 Corinthians 5, 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Those are two planks. You're going to be seated. So the word constraineth has to do with convince. And the word persuade has to do with convince. So we are, our platform has those two planks. The love of Christ constraineth us, and knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we need what they have the different ways. MCC or World War. It was brutal. Six million Jews just alone, just the one group. The gypsies and the undesirables and the weak and the. They just did it with impunity. I just was finished now reciting the Holocaust Chronicle. It's a big 700-page book. It is terrible. Prisoners of war out of that gruesome, terrible, inhumane war were brought by a church agency to Lancaster County. 
They were working for Glick's plant farms. They were working for Glenn, uh, Daniel Glick, who had a, a vegetable seed business. They were working for Aaron Glick on a, on a, dairy, on a farm that uh, maybe steers and chickens, I don't know, crops. And they were working at various farms and places and businesses in Lancaster County. These men who were part of that machine of World War II. I remember a case, Arthur, where these people had sent food money for food boxes through MCC, I think it was, to families in Germany, and we can't realize the poverty and the desperation and the starvation and the death that goes with war. It was just awful. Well, there was people. Can someone tell me who it was? They sent food boxes. They were a part of the group that was sending food boxes. And they found out later of a certain family that used to get the food box with these people's name on it week after week or every two weeks or every month. I don't know how often it was. But they said, those food boxes kept us from starving. I couldn't imagine it. Uh, Arthur, and where is Lillian? Oh, I want to address her too, but here you are. I'm going to tell you what. Our church has a, a, a missionary rally every month. So you thought you're doing something new here? No. We have a missionary rally every month. It's called Junior Sewing Circle, and it's also called Senior Sewing Circle. These people meet every month. And they sew things for the needy, and they are a very significant work. There have been people that have been blessed with that in ways that we can never imagine. When Marianne and I were over in Israel in, in 1983, the, Harold Fly was our tour director, and he took us over to um, Pol uh, hold on. He took us over to Jordan. Over in Jordan, there was the Stolzfus Sisters Orphanage. Remember that, Alda? Stolzfus Sisters used to be in our uh, plan for Sunday school uh, offering giving. We gave to the, the, the uh, orphanage in Jordan. We went over there to see that orphanage. These Stolzfus Sisters were older singles from Morgantown, Mennonite women. And so we were there in that orphanage. And Marion says, look at that. Here was in these little beds with these orphans. Here were comforters that were made by the Weavertown Sewing Circle. I said, that did something to me I can't describe. When you're out on the field and you see where these things are actually used. I needed my book. I want to give you something in page 50. Everybody ought to have a Weavertown history book. And... Um, <clears throat> They're back there on the table for a $10 donation. But in um, 1938 was the first Weavertown Senior Sewing Circle. But you know what? The Junior Sewing Circle had started four years before that. By whom? Rode Emma. Rode Emma. Emma Stolzfus. She was an older sis single sister here at Weavertown. And she took... Uh, Young girls, they had to be, they were usually about 14. 
Now, when you go back to Road Emma's era, and 1934 and 1938, this is, uh, let's say, Aunt Elsie Kaufman, I say Aunt. Elsie Kaufman, who is now, I think, 97, is that right? 96, 97. She would have been almost old enough to go with Road Emma. <laughs> she would have been almost 14. She was born 23, so in 37, she would have been 14. Road Emma took the girls up to Millersville to the nursing home, and there they would sing for the, uh, the people. They would do some cleaning. They might do a little kitchen work. They would just help out in these kind of ways. I don't know how this sister did it. Sometimes she would take these girls up to Columbia. That's the other side of Lancaster a ways. Up to Columbia. And this was in the years right after the Depression when people during the Depression were working for a dollar a day. Mind you, not a dollar an hour. A dollar a day. Esther says, my dad was one of those. So our parents were involved in that. This was right in the years afterwards when you know things were things were not plentiful. She found ways to share in that kind of way. <clears throat> oh, that was so exciting. Yeah, I wrote this book, but it was so I didn't read the book ever since I wrote it. Not the whole book. That is so, it, this man did a wonderful job in writing. You ought to have a book like this. They're out there on the table. Ah. <laughs> uh, Now, what's our word? What is the power word for us? The love of Christ does what? Constraineth. Did you get that? Constraineth. It says here in this book, and I interviewed various people, it says here that in the first sewing circle, mind you, in the first sewing circle, there was 21 ladies that were present. And what else did it say? It said there were 11 that were absent. Auschwitz, because suppose they would say today how many were there and how many were absent. We are stuck. Sewing Circle has been around so long and it, the vision hasn't quite made the waves over the waves. So a lot of beachy churches are saying our sewing circles are not what they used to be. Ladies, don't all come. I want to see a revival in this. I would hope there's something done by being 12 days of the year at Swing Circle as a priority that is a powerful witness to our children. And like Michael said one time when he finished the topic, I'll let you take it from there. Thank you, Michael. I can use that various times. So, Red Emma had, Red Emma had um, a prayer list. She had a prayer list from the missionaries, the missionaries from Africa, from Tanzania. That's not Tanzania anymore. I don't know what the nation is. She had a prayer list. And so, in this list, these missionaries had given these girls' names. And so, Rodema said, um, what, what name shall we pick off of here? And then we want to pray for this person every month when we get together for our junior sewing circle. 
and they chose Odema. It is in this book. You ought to have one. They chose Odema. A few years later, missionaries get, were getting furloughs every seven years. At that time, um, Eastern Board of Missions and Charities, Salonga, Pennsylvania, right here at Lancaster. They had a missionary that came back from Tanzania. They were going around making some talks here and there. And would you believe, this missionary lady on furlough comes to Weavertown Sewing Circle. And she said, in our church, we have an outstanding girl from the natives that is in our church. And I, I just want to tell you a little bit about her. Her name is Odema. Were you here, Frida, when that happened? Frida, were you here when that sewing happened? Okay, so I got it from older sisters at Sewing Circle. Odema. They had prayed for Odema every month, and here now is a report from Odema of her being a Christian, of her being faithful in the church. Wow. <laughs> All right, Arthur. Um, I covered a few. Now I want to cover about 12 things in a short time. And these are things, I don't use PowerPoint, maybe someday I will. Maybe I hope to before I get old, but right now yet I haven't done that. Um, <clears throat> oh, I was gonna tell you, I was gonna tell you something. I was responsible for one of those ladies that was not at that first sewing. Remember there's eight ladies that were not present? I was responsible for that, for one of those that was not there because I was born 10 days later. <laughs> 1937, all right, so these 12 things. We started Sunday school in 1928 using the Bible. We never used the quarterlies, we're not proud of it, we're just saying, we went through the Christian days against the missions. A school, powerful, a part of, has been still. Number four. Number four, number four, I'd, I could use 10 minutes on this one as a minimum. Number four, prophecy, prophecy conferences by plainer Mennonite churches, 1950 through 1980. Why is that so important? Because on these prophecy conferences, on plainer Mennonite churches. Our church was established where our ministry had found that a, a, a word value, I call it, a literal interpretation, a word value interpretation is appropriate for the whole Bible, not only prophecy. And if a non-literal, if an allegorical, let's say spiritualizing prophecy happens, it can metastasize to anywhere in the whole Bible. Only one little illustration. We were at our Beach Minister's annual meeting. The one minister got up. He had three points for his talk. He said, I'm going to spiritualize every one of those three talks, three points. You know what does that? You take a scripture, you read it, and, and you are saying, this isn't what it means. 
because what it means is back here, somewhere in the Old Testament, this was fulfilled. That was his sermon. Do we begin to understand? I had a man, a pastor, in, in a West, Midwestern church, has said, Aaron, how do your churches grow? I told him right away, by using a word value interpretation. I stand on that. He said, what do you mean? So I explained to him. He just laughed me almost to scorn. They would never do that. Their young people will leave. Their church dwindles. There's churches out in the Midwest that are dwindling. They're getting less and less and less. And the ones that are most forceful on an allegorical interpretation are the ones who are dwindling the fastest and the most. We have nothing to be proud of, but I tell you what, I am at the age where I will not be here forever, and few others of us here likewise, that if you can, can, if you can come to an appreciation for the word of God in a word value interpretation, that is taking it right like it says, this church can go on and grow, continue to grow, and to continue to feed into missions, in many kinds of ways. You see why I needed 10 minutes? Number five, transition to English in the 1960s. Number six, a gradual prosperity in 1950 through 1980s with an accompanying sense of stewardship, including tithing and giving. Number seven, Large tent revivals. Big time. 20,000 people in one night. It was 20,000 cars. I forget which it was. Pictures and here's, there's a history book here that has some of this in here. You ought to get one of these. Pictures in there. Aerial photos of parking lot with a big tent. And people cried their sins and confessed stuff that they never had thought about confessing before. When they would line up for evenings for testimony, they'd be lined up on both sides and they'd be there late and singing and testifying of the grace of God way past time to go home. It was revival. Number eight, large tent revivals. Number seven. Number eight, the first Beachy Ministers meeting at Weavertown. You know when that was? I didn't either. But here in this book it says, <laughs> I tell you what, this book is something else. But here in this book it says that it was November 10th, 1955. You know when that anniversary was? This past Tuesday. Do you know when the first sewing circle started? Listen, November 10th, the same date, 1937. Oh, it is so exciting. What is it about November 10th? I don't know. 10 days before my birthday. That's pretty good. But November 10th, a special day when the women had their, their missions rally called Sewing Circle. And when the men got together, the beach ministers, 
came together here at this very same Weavertown church and began from there. They organized Amish Mennonite aid. It was the very first time. November 10th. I was present. I was a mere 17 years old, but I was excited. It was, I was sure that this church was for me. Number nine, spiritual people joining our churches, 1960s, 1970s, 1980s. Spiritual people joining our churches. We have families here. I'm looking at some of you now. You've been here for years. Your children and your grandchildren. It has fed into our church in a powerful way. So I'm only making that one of my points, number nine. Number 10. There, was, there seemed to be always someone from Weavertown on several mission boards or Christian service agencies. People that were involved in administratively in these entities, missions and service. Talk about the word constraineth is a very powerful word. Number 11, there were young people and marrieds in missions or voluntary service nonstop. I'm only making a conjecture. I'm only guessing at it, but it almost seems like it. There's always somebody. There's always young people. There's always married people. There's always people in Weavertown that are in service. Arthur, I bring you a word from Dave, Dave Stolzfus, our bishop. You know him? Here's one additional way of knowing him. Dave Stolzfus says that he thinks the Weavertown Church should tithe of their increase, but likewise tithe of their people. So that means if you have 40 families, you have four families in service somewhere. If you have 50 youth, that means there are five in service somewhere. And he doesn't, this is going to surprise them, but here's, if that passes, if that passes for the chicks, then here's where the roosters come in at. Since, since 40 families is four in service, 50 youth is five in service, five pastors means that each pastor is on the average one half year in service. Number 12. Well, we do have this. Lloyd Bidders are going to Kenya for a couple months. Uh, there's men that go to teach at Calvary Bible School. If they go for three weeks, that at least takes a month. We have men that are doing it. We have youth that are doing it. We have families that are doing it. Because of what? Because the love of Christ constraineth us. What else? Because our interpretation, our word value interpretation, of the Bible itself, the whole Bible. Prophecy included, which means that knowing therefore the terror of the Lord from Revelation 6 through 19 in particular, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men that one plank is missing in, in I don't know what percentage of our beachy churches.
but missing. And we're doing it all by love, and we're saying, like this past year in Calvary Master, where are all our people when it comes to volunteering for missions and voluntary service? You know where? There is the urgency. Will it be urgency or will it be urbanize? Urgency or urbanize? I'm going to give my definition of urbanize. By making the city that comprises our church larger with churchly suburbs. So will it be the urgency to go out or will it be to make a circle of wagons and make the, the camp bigger? <clears throat> there is a um, trumpet. There's a trumpet that's going to be given. Now, in the Old Testament, when and there's also these two books back there. These two books for evangelizing, the Lord gave me special messages in these two books. Came out just this summer. But you, you can try these books. They are great for seekers. The one tells you, run through a terry way, pay, will tell you, and this when we die, especially with what that was to convene for worship. And when the trumpet blast was given two times, men were to prepare for war. Now the Bible says, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, hmm, uh, 14, 8. For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? That has to do, I say, with Bible interpretation. If we're giving an uncertain sound on biblical interpretation, who's going to prepare for the battle? And it's interesting that even today, the Kinzer Fire Company, right across the hill, whenever they have a meeting, they blow their siren one time for a meeting. And when there's a crisis, accident, fire, they blow it four times. Thank you. <clears throat> I wanted you to feel the how we have been impacted by the people who have gone before us. Think about that list of 12 things and the things he talked about before. The food boxes, the sewing circle, and the prayer list. If that hadn't been a part of our church, would we be at a different place? The answer is yes. It's 8.35. Hmm. I guess I'll just skip the, the uh, world stuff that I was going to talk about, <clears throat> our, Anabaptist, our Anabaptist evangelistic heritage. I'll speed up. My premise is that there's a rich foundation, <clears throat> there's a rich precedent of people in our heritage 
being involved in, in evangelism. <clears throat> Most of our uh, ancestors came from Europe. There was a martyr's... Let me just see. We were pagans before we were, before we were Christians. There was a martyr's synod in Osberger, Germany, August the 24th, 20 to the 24th, 1527, that would be about two years after the, the movement started. <clears throat> and those people said, we've got to tell people. And so they, it was soon after Schleitheim, and they, there was no formal rules of, of order, no minutes were kept, but we know what happened from court records. It wasn't political, it was evangelistic. At the end of the synod, there was an agreement to send out missionaries from Osberg to gather as many of the elect as possible. <clears throat> they went out. The mission effort... <clears throat> <clears throat> the mission effort failed. If you go by the numbers, most of them were sent out, were martyred shortly after their arrival. Uh, I asked Leroy Beachy about, uh, about mission zeal among the Anabaptists. He said there was a flurry of such activity among Swiss Moravian Anabaptists in the mid-1500s. It was commonly required of a newly ordained min, uh, person to accompany a seasoned minister on a mission tour to gain experience. It was a dangerous undertaking, and the return rate was something like only two, of, two out of five, and an ordination was something like a tone of a death sentence. Church, church ordination of that era made provisions for the care of children orphaned by the capture and execution of their fathers. An example of such a missionary endeavor was that the capture of about 60 Moravians captured, I'll just leave that, <clears throat> Okay, okay, I'll go ahead with this. <clears throat> George Blaurock. He went to a Reformed church and said, I've been sent here to preach. He preached in a lot of places. He was captured by the Catholics. He was burned at the stake. Conrad Grable was a very young thinker, very young person. He was a radical thinker. He was determined to follow the New Testament. He almost immediately baptized 500 people and then 300 the following week. He died in a plague. Felix Muntz was arrested when he was preaching. He escaped from prison, went right back to preaching. The whole town was baptized as a result of his fiery preaching. He was captured, and then, and then he was, gave his life. That's where I'll, I'll stop there. Why did I tell this? <clears throat> I think that we, the part of the story that's not there, well, I guess there is. <clears throat> the harsh persecution that lasted for more than 100 years, 50,000 of our people died in the persecution. We came to the States, and as near as I can tell, we lost our fervor in the, in the, in the rush to settle, and, the, and just the, the relief of not being persecuted. But I'm here to say that evangelistic fervor is in our genes. It's, it's part of our DNA to take risks and to believe that we have something to share with other people. Um, we lost it, but we can get it back. <clears throat> I think that's where I'll stop. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, are just so grateful 
for the heritage that we have of people who are willing to take risks, uh, even risking our lives because we have truth that's valuable, that's changed us, and that we want to help other people. We've thought about how Weavertown has changed by the choices and decisions of people. We just, instead of being critical, instead of saying, instead of not taking that into consideration, we want to value that, but we want to build on that and to, uh, and to be thankful. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.